Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Future Tech Podcast. I'm Alan Thomas, and I'm here with Chris Amon, Chief Technical Officer of Interaxon. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing great, man. Good to be on uh, the podcast with you. Looking forward to our conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can we can get right to it, too. So <laughs> tell us. <laughs> Tell us about the company. What do you guys do, and you know how'd you how'd you come about? So, um, so we're best known with people uh, for the creation of the Muse headband, uh, which is actually a brain sensing headband. Um, it's a consumer product. It's it's affordable, and uh, really the the value it offers to people is it helps um, uh, folks get started in a meditation or a mindfulness practice. Um, so uh, it's a four channel EEG device. So, and what that does is it measures the electric field that your brain naturally produces. And we look at how the brain waves that your, that your mind is producing uh, fluctuate over time to help uh, give us information about the state of mind you're in and how that's changing. So, um, you know, researchers use our product uh, for doing neuroscience research of different kinds, um, but most people will know us through our consumer uh, product, which is, has an app associated with it, um, and it's a meditation uh, training application, and it, and it basically takes you through the basics, and then uh, using uh, feedback, real-time feedback from the, the brain's activity, um, it helps you recognize, um, you know, how your mind actually 
fluctuates over time and how that is related to um, the practice of focusing your attention um, and dealing with distractions. So this would be a great device to figure out, I guess, when when your power hour is, right? When they talk about when you're kind of the most when you're when you're the most active or maybe the most creative or the most energized. Yeah. So there's like a couple of different ways that you know having a device like this is interesting. One of them is certainly uh, just to explore with the aid of a device um, how different things in your life, different times of day, uh, affect your mental activity. And, you know, it's a tool to help you reflect on that and figure out, you know, is there an optimal time of day for you uh, to be doing a certain kind of work? And is there an optimal time of day for you to be actually practicing meditation? Um, So that's one way you can use it. The other way, um, it really is about just engaging in the practice of meditation, which has um, a host of really incredible benefits for the brain and for the body and um, to your levels of stress and your performance. Um, And it helps you to build a practice. Um, like an exercise, physical exercise practice. Uh, and then there are, there are various elements in how it works that can, can help you accelerate some of the learning process that's associated with, uh, with meditation. Oh, really? And, 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 so, and so you combine some of the information that you're getting through the app along with the capabilities of the device to kind of figure out what, kind of how to figure out how to get the most out of it then. Yeah, so, I mean, just sort of diving into the experience a little bit, um, you know, you sort of put this device around your head um, and then you wear headphones and you launch an app on your smartphone, your tablet, and it basically guides you through uh, an introduction, at least in the beginning of meditation. Subsequently, there are lessons to help you learn different aspects of the practice. And then you go through a calibration where you um, basically the device records a baseline of activity at that moment. Um, uh, in your brainwaves, and then you engage in your meditation practice, um, which in this case is a focused attention practice. You place your awareness on the sensation of your breathing, um, and in the in that practice where you're focusing on your breath, you'll actually hear sounds coming through the headphones that relate back to that real-time uh, state of mind uh, that you're experiencing. And, uh, and the way we, we articulate that through sound is we use a weather metaphor. So if you hear weather, which is calm, uh, so in, in, you know, in some of the environments, there's the sound of wind. So the wind will be very calm and quiet. Uh, and if you hear that, then you know that your mind is in a fairly calm and focused state. And then if you hear the wind increase in its intensity and it starts to blow really hard, you know, this is when you know that your mind is becoming more active your attention has become unstable. Uh, you know, this is what some people call when the mind is wandering. Um, you know, it's when you engage in thoughts. Then you'll be able to hear the wind uh, pick up, and that can be your cue. Because sometimes when you get lost in thought, it can be ages before you recognize that the mind uh, has sort of gone off and, you know, in its natural spir- spiral of, uh, you know, of, of thoughts, experiences, images. Uh, and this is sort of a cue to help you bring the attention back. Uh, uh, so each time you hear the wind come up, you'll know you should bring your attention back. And then as you practice, you know, you, you build the skill uh, of noticing as well as the skill to bring the attention back. And, and generally what happens when, when people uh, practice, um, you know, uh, pretty consistently with it is uh, you'll, you'll start to recognize that you're, you're becoming distracted before you hear the wind pick up. Uh, so we, in the experience, there's a, there's a little bit of space for you to make that recognition for yourself. So 
you know, you, you're not dependent on the device, but, but rather you can notice for yourself. And when you hear the, the, the weather become more intense, then, you know, that's your cue uh, to, to recognize that you really sort of, you know, gone off into, uh, into this spiral of mind wandering and, and, and you can use that cue to come back. And so how was the product, how was the product developed? Were, were, were some of you who developed the product already somewhere in the, in this space and the medita- is there a meditation background at work or? So, um, uh, yes and, and no, it's interesting. Um, I think, uh, it follows the course of many discoveries that you, that, um, people have and that is you found you found something that you weren't really looking for in the first place uh, and that really formed the foundation of something new um, and so that's actually what happened in this case um, you know the, the the group of us who founded the company um, really didn't come from a meditation background they weren't looking to develop a meditation product but rather you know my background is in uh, you know cybernetics and wearable computing and I was at you know at the time this is you know maybe 15 years ago I was really interested in, in how technology could be used to, um, you know, uh, take the human experience uh, to a to a new level. I was interested in, in what more we could do with the aid of technology. Um, and one of the technologies that I was using um, was actually uh, brain sensing technology. And uh, when I got together with my other co-founders um, of Interaxon, uh, our first interest was to create experiences using this technology because. Uh, you know, people had a natural interest in, you know, revealing something that was hidden, you know, in their in their mental state, their biosignals, their brainwaves. Um, and there was a really, we could build very cool experiences. Um, and, you know, people came with a high level of curiosity. Uh, so, so what happened was, you know, when we got into building these experiences, there was, there was a common thread uh, that we experienced through all of the things that we created. And that was, you know, when you when you gave someone a neural feedback experience, you know, uh, there was this this thing happened where someone would become very curious about what was happening inside of themselves, uh, and so they would start experimenting. You know, what what would happen if I do this or do that, or you know, what if I try to make myself really stressed or really relaxed? And the 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 thing the this the sort of the this curiosity based self exploration was the kind of magical bit to it. And so, um, you know, and this is why it was such a, a powerful foundation for all these experiences that we'd create. And it wasn't in, until sometime later that we were introduced, uh, you know, to some, uh, through some really excellent uh, teachers of meditation uh, about the practice of mindfulness, uh, about meditation practice, that we really put two and two together and realized that what had actually happened is we'd, ha- we'd discovered mindfulness through technology. Um, this, this shift from, I know what's going on. Uh, I know what's happening. I, I know my experience to actually starting to question this and really paying close attention to what was happening in that inner spectrum, um, is, is that, that, you know, one of the critical components of, of mindfulness of really, you know, um, bringing your attention to experience itself, uh, trying to expand your awareness and trying to do this with an attitude of curiosity, um, is really the like the this, some of the, like the most important core um, uh, components of, of mindfulness, and so when we realized that, that's when we we really uh, you know shifted gears in uh, in our approach, uh, in our interest, because we 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 realized that there was something that was truly valuable that we could offer people, um, and uh, it, it turned into a real 
you know, self-development, you know, personal uh, journey for each of us, um, actually getting into the practice of meditation. Um, you know, I, myself, um, for instance, I, I realized in this that I'd always had some kind of contemplative practice, and it was a, a big part of how I maintained my creativity as an inventor and solving hard problems. I just had never been introduced to the the techniques that that you know humans have have really been cultivating for a very long time and you know it, and it came from just the cultural context that I was from uh, so there was a bit of like wow why didn't anybody tell me that this existed you know because here I was you know creating my own techniques to allow myself to be more uh, more successful more creative more centered but actually um, some extremely you know smart and dedicated people like a lot of them have spent their lives dedicating themselves to to creating practices that are extremely powerful and work. And, and so discovering that was was a real eye opener, and it, and it uh, you know quite frankly transformed my life. It transformed the lives of my partners. Um, and so you know we, you know from there we had a chance to work with people who you know had a a, a deep contemplative uh, practice. You know where they were teachers, uh, and so we sort of went on this journey together to develop this into a product that could help many people be introduced to the practice uh, and to discover its benefits with the assistance of technology. Um, you know, so, yeah. And so you, and, and so it sounds like you were always doing a form of meditation and you just maybe didn't have a formal name for it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was this weird thing that Chris did, you know, <laughs> if I had a hard <laughs> problem to, to solve, what I would do is I would, I would essentially close myself in a room, turn the lights off, you know, lie on the floor and I would spend 20 to 30 minutes just allowing the mind to settle. And, and then what would happen? So, so typically this was in the context of, of really trying to, you know, uh, uh, find my way through a problem. And so it was, it was, it was, it was still resident to my consciousness. And so I'd lie on the floor uh, and, you know, after about 20 or 30 minutes of lying there, um, the, this, the, the interesting thing that would happen is, I would start to make connections between things. These are, uh, you know, different concepts, different things I've been working with would come together. Uh, and, I'd, you know, you'd see this and you're like, wow, you know, that's, that's interesting. Um, I hadn't thought of it that way. And, um, and often that some real gems would come through observing these thoughts come together. But what was interesting, and, and this is the part which is, you know, definitely related to uh, how meditation is practiced, um, my method was to not follow a thought when it happened, but rather I would just sort of, you know, uh, essentially stand at the doorway and I would watch these interesting connections flow through. And I would probably do this for maybe an hour of, you know, seeing these random connections, letting them go, seeing a new, you know, sort of uh, arrangement of, uh, of concepts and let them go. And then it was after going through that process that I would, that I would you know, engage in logical sequential th thinking about the different things that I had observed in that process. Um, so it's almost like entering kind of a dream state where things make sense and kind of don't make sense, but I would, I would be the passive observer of what came together. And then that gave me a lot of things to then work with subsequently in a, in a much more, you know, straightforward, uh, you know, problem solving approach. Yeah. That sounds very similar to, uh, uh, some of the kind of practices I've tried before in the past too. And, and the, and my thing was always about, well, let me make sure to have a notepad somewhere nearby. So when I kind of come out of it, I can kind of quickly write down whatever ideas kind of flashed into my head. Uh, is that, 
uh, would that be a good recommendation for people using the Muse? Because you never know what kind of, like you say, you never know what kind of connections kind of just kind of pop off when you yeah. actually reach that state. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, when I think about the use of the Muse, um, part of that process um, to engage in that kind of creative process you need to do a couple of things. You know, one of them is you need to be able to allow the mind to settle. And for a lot of people, uh, what happens when they, when, you know, when you're left with your own thoughts is you get into spirals of thinking. Um, and there really isn't um, a lot of agency or space to have new things emerge because what often what emerges in those kinds of, uh, of thought spirals is a rehash of, of things, stories, basically. Uh, that you that you live in your life. You know, these are stories around your identity, uh, stories about things that happened, you know, yesterday, earlier today, things that might happen tomorrow, you start planning, you know, so there are all these, um, you know, ways that um, our, our narrative mind um, fills up the, the space of our consciousness. And if that happens, what hap- what what the the consequences, there's no kind of, you know, there's no room between in the cracks between the thoughts for the new connections to be recognized. So I found that, you know, for this to be most successful with people, you have to be able to allow the mind to settle enough that there's enough space between the thoughts for the, these new, you know, more subtle connections because uh, the, the connections aren't as strong. You know, there's, you haven't, these are new things. They haven't been replayed a bunch of times. Uh, and so, you know, you have to be able to, you know, find the signal within the noise. Um, and so that's that's a, a pretty important skill to have to engage in a process like that. Um, so I'd say the muse is a great way to build that skill that you can bring into a creative exercise like that. Um, the other part of it is uh, you need the space between the thoughts, and then you also need to be able to let the thoughts go once they happen, uh, because the 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 tendency is as soon as anything interesting happens in the, in in the mind, you want to follow it. It's like a new shiny thing. And it's like, oh, wow, that's super cool. And then you want to go and start chasing after uh, that idea. Um, but really, you're getting back into the logical thinking process. Um, and, you know, you know I, I have found personally that it's best to save for later. Um, because when you're in that state and you're making these connections, then uh, you, you can, you know, if you can stay in that place, you can really amass a huge pile of them. You know, um, it's, it's almost, you know, if you, if you look at some of the design thinking approaches they have with teams to generate ideas, I mean, there's, there's always this expansion phase in the process uh, where you, you basically, there's, you know, there's never a bad idea. You know, it's always a yes and culture in that context. And you just generate tons and tons of stuff. You know, a lot of it's useless, but it's within the huge amount of stuff that you actually identify the things which are, are really the gold. Um, but if you follow the first idea, then you really never have the opportunity to, to, to let the rest of it happen. And so when you and your team were forming the company and, and coming up with, with the Muse, what are some of the difficulties you encountered in the early days, just putting together the company and, and kind of getting to the, getting into these first ideas, these first developments? Oh, well, there's a whole, there's a whole lot. I mean, it's uh, um, uh, the experience of any kind of, of new enterprise always has like a ton of challenges and, you know, for my for myself um, and my partners, I mean, I would say one of the biggest ones was um, this you know, creating something physical, creating hardware that would you know would go for sale and in in you know in Best Buy, you know, uh, to be able to produce things at a cost which is low enough to be affordable. Uh, you know, I certainly had a lot of experiences creating things which were you know basically one-off pieces of technology, either for research or for you know for for a client. 
Um, you know, but, you know, that's typically something where the, the budget is, you know, at least in the tens of thousands of dollars. Um, but, you know, for something to be affordable uh, to a consumer, I mean, you know, you really be, you need, you need to be building something for like 50 to a hundred dollars. Uh, otherwise, by the time it ends up in retail, it really is uh, totally out of reach for people. Um, so that was, you know, um, definitely a huge, uh, you know, mental barrier to be able to to go this place. Uh, so for a long time, we tried to uh, actually not build any physical hardware, but rather use existing hardware that um, uh, that was out there and really focus on the experiences, on the signal processing, and that uh, and that side of things. What happened is we we discovered that there there really wasn't a form factor of brain sensing technology that existed at the time uh, that would really open this up for people. Um, you know, to to create something which was comfortable, easy to put on. You know, so um, you know one interesting thing about our brain waves as compared to the other biosignals in our body, like our heart, is they're extremely small. So if you look at the brainwave signal, it's the the heart. The ECG that you might see if you know you know watching a movie and someone's in a hospital bed. I mean that that is a thousand times bigger than your brain waves. And so the equipment to measure that has to be extraordinarily sensitive, uh, which also means that the way you wear it has to be uh, ha- has to have a similar um, you know um, element of uh, of subtlety and, and care about how it fits on the body. So you know you can't really go running with an EEG device on. Um, because just the motion of the body creates larger signals in the device than your brain produces. Um, so, uh, so building a device that would work for many people, you know, to go, to go and buy it off the shelf and take it home and successfully use it on their own was actually a massive uh, problem. And so, um, you know, first off, you know, recognizing that it needed to happen, you know, a new uh, product, hardware product needed to be created to actually al- allow this to be accessible to people uh, was the first, you know, mental barrier. Uh, and then we had to, you know, go and, you know, figure out how to raise money against this and, you know, and find the expertise we needed to actually make this vision into reality. But then the next part was actually creating a device, uh, inventing a device that actually provided that, uh, that ergonomics, uh, the friendliness, the ease of use that would really open this up for people. Uh, and so we worked really, really hard at that. and. Um, um, quite proud of what we produced, uh, and you know, actually seeing that that people, like many many people, you know, successfully use it, uh, and then it becomes part of the routine. Uh, and you know, those people who um, volunteer to be in our research programs, you know, uh, they help us, um, you know, by providing some of their brain data, so we can, you know, look at engineering new algorithms. I can see that, you know, in the data that we get that the, the, the signal is extremely clean. Uh, it looks like laboratory EEG. Uh, and so, you know, the fact that that happened, usually when you, when you do an EEG uh, research study, you have a lab tech, which is in there preparing the device and being extraordinarily careful that uh, the skin's prepared in the right way. And, you know, they use gel on it to make sure there's good conductivity and, you know, they test all the signals. And so that compared to someone who's simply putting this on for, you know, five minutes to use before bed uh, and actually to get really great uh, brain data is just a, an extraordinary achievement. And when you're developing this, were, were there like, and I know you said there, you basically have that brainstorming session where you, you just kind of throw ideas out there and that kind of thing. But once you were kind of getting down the road with it, was there ever a point where there were some ideas for the device coming up where you said, well, maybe that's a little too soon for this version, but maybe a later version? 
<laughs> that that continues to happen all the time. <laughs> uh, and you know, in my in my position in the company, I mean, I'm definitely on the sort of the 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 research side of things, uh, coming up with new experiences and new uses. You know, uh, I'm always having to, you know, be very patient and bide my time. Um, you know, you know, to to create something that is, um, you know, easy enough to understand. You know, and and has enough user testing around it. You know, and and considering that we're making a product which is designed to improve people's well-being. You know making sure that we're actually doing that is, is, a, is a huge part of the, the problem that we have to consider. Um, so, um, you know, everything that we do, you know, we have a very careful consideration and we test it with a lot of people before we put it out there. Um, so we can have some confidence that for the, for the vast majority, you know, it's going to be a, a positive influence uh, for them. So that slows things down a lot. Um, and so, yeah, so there's, there's, a, there's a ton of things uh, where we create amazing ideas that, you know, are related to the, what we're hearing from, from the people who are using it. And, you know, they come from our own imagination and our own use and exploration with the product. Um, but we have to sit on our hands for a lot of them uh, until, mm-hmm. you know, we can get to them and treat them with due care. And what, and what is some of the feedback that you get from folks who are using the device? Um, so there's uh, a, a lot of different kinds of feedback. Um, you know, th- we have a lot of different kinds of users who, who use our product. And, you know, I think uh, we have to, you'd have to consider kind of each different kind of group separately in terms of the kind of things they say. Um, so, for instance, some people are, you know, you know they're the biohackers, you know, and, they, and they're really interested in, in finding new ways to optimize their bodies and their brains. Uh, you know, and they and they have you know a certain way of relating to the product. You know, and there's other people who are simply looking for relief. You know, they feel super stressed, uh, and um, you know they they experience a lot of suffering. Um, you know, through how they relate to things and how they feel, and so you know, Muse you know becomes uh, like a different kind of tool for them. Um, but uh, I mean, it's you know, just reading through the reviews that we get uh, that actually, you know, uh, get posted on, you know, the, uh, the app store on Amazon is there's some incredible stories about people making uh, amazing change in their life uh, that I'm always like, I'll, I'll go and read our reviews whenever I'm feeling low energy uh, because uh, it makes me remember that, you know, people are, f- are finding tremendous value in it. Um, you know, but, you know, the biohackers there, they want, they want more data, you know, they want to just, you know, they want metrics and, you know, they want ways to accumulate the data. Uh, and so, you know, a product that we just launched is called Muse Direct, and it basically just reads the data directly from the device, all the signals, your brain waves, um, it, it measures how your body moves. Uh, it, it takes, it, it does some processing. So it actually separ- separates it out into brainers that people recognize like, you know, Delta, Delta, Alpha, Beta, uh, and then it records that, um, and it provides a service where you can download that data in different formats, uh, so you can start to do your own tinkering and analysis. And so, you know, that was something that came from user feedback, and that people really wanted a tool where they can start uh, doing that. And so, we have some exciting things planned coming up with, you know, offering different kinds of analytics and processing on that data, so people can really take some of that experiment experimentation home with them and start in, I think the exciting thing for us is, is, you know, people are doing things with this that we never expected that are extraordinary. Uh, and so the, we really, I think, you know, the possibility of learning from people who've taken a real passion to this is, well, you know, open our minds, so to speak here at Muse, uh, because, you know, 
you know, we're all, we're all, we all have our limitations, you know, and we don't, we don't have a chance to explore everything, but it's beautiful of a community that, that has that, uh, that adventurous spirit, um, you know, and then people who are looking for, um, you know, uh, a greater sense of relief, um, you know, they, a lot of people are looking for, you know, more ways of, uh, of engaging with um, health practitioners, for example. So we've built some tools um, to allow a practitioner, a professional of some kind, uh, who's working with clients to, um, you know, track the progress of people using the device. Uh, and then now you have a conversation piece uh, because we can, you can look at some of the data together. And so, you know, if you, if you think about the muse, the muse is kind of the, uh, is from mythology is, is you know, like the, the goddesses of storytelling. And so the be- it's beautiful that, you know, the muse now functions as a way of engaging in a narrative with someone you know, it's, it's a touchstone that you can use to, to have in your conversation and to talk about something which can be very difficult to talk about, and that is what's, what's happening in your mind, what's happening in your moment-to-moment experience. And so what would you want the, the big takeaway to be for our listeners? What's, what should they really be focused on uh, since we've been talking about Muse? You know, uh, like, um, I'm not really a salesy person, um, so we've talked about Muse a lot, um, but I guess I just want to pass on that um, in, there's there's a consequence to how we tend to live and how we use technology that that um, you know um, I would say creates mental habits um, for ourselves um, that that really can cause us a lot of trouble and so um, I think the easiest one to understand is is that you know we really are living in a culture of distraction right now so if you know you might find that. You know, when you're alone, the first thing you want to do is you pick up your phone and take a look at it, you know, to see if you can stimulate yourself in some way. Um, but, you know, this, this, these habits of using technology to take ourselves away from our felt experience is something that can have, um, you know, very stressful consequences. Um, and so the, the, the simple idea there is, you know, when we're living in the realm of thought, you know, when we're living in our story, um, we, the way the brain works is, is it starts to isolate you from the, the felt experience, the live experience of the world around you. And so what happens is you end up out of sync with, with your outer world uh, or, you know, also your inner world. Uh, and, that, and that separation, um, you know, basically causes a ton of stress uh, because, you know, your imagined reality doesn't line up with actual reality. Uh, whenever, whenever that happens, you know, stuff gets really hard. You know, you want to make change in the world. You want to make change in your life. Um, but you can't because you've, you've, the way you've been um, using your mind and your consciousness has really kept you separated from that, you know, real life, you know, flow of information that comes from your senses um, that really allows you to stay in sync with your environment and with your relationships and, and with the world you're trying to create. And so, you know, I think, you know, Techniques like meditation that can really help you develop the skill of, you know, opening up your felt experience, having the emotional capacity to be able to stay with that experience, to learn what it has to offer um, is something that the, the only technology I've seen that addresses this properly is meditation. And, and this is why you, you sort of hear from people, from those who meditate, that, they'll, that they will all report that there is life-changing potential in it. And you know, my perspective is, especially because of how we live with technology, this is something that, you know, we should all be doing to some extent. It's kind of like flossing your teeth. Um, and, if you, and if you do that kind of maintenance, just like you go to the gym on a regular basis to keep your body in shape, 
you know, I think we're going to find we're going to live much more like healthier, more balanced and, and much more expansive lives because we'll be able to do that much more and, and feel good about it. Um, so whether you find that through Muse or you find that because, you know, you've, you've gone to meditation class, I would say like that is something that we should all seek to, you know, give a go at least to understand and, and, and see what, you know, what meaning is going to have for us. And, uh, and, you know, I think, I mean, the reason, one reason why Muse exists is because, you know, in meditation, though, when you hear about it, it seems like a very simple practice. It was actually developed where you had a lot of contact with a teacher and, and that teacher is really, you know, someone who can help you find the right thing to practice, you know, instead of feeling the sensation of your breath, people often end up thinking about their breath and then you're right back where you started. So actually what happens is, is a lot more nuanced than it might first appear. And so, you know, having a feedback in the process is incredibly valuable. And so, um, you know, I think if you're going to try to learn meditation, I mean, definitely find a teacher or, you know, and, or use a product like Muse to, to help you start to build that awareness of, uh, of what you should be practicing so you can, you know, m- you know make good use of your effort. And, and so what's the best way for our listeners to get in contact with you and, and check out Muse? Uh, the easiest way is just to check out uh, choosemuse.com. Um, that's C-H-O-O-S-E-M-U-S-E.com. And, you know, there you can learn about our product and we have a, a blog and you can take a look at our research. Um, but that's probably the first place to to begin the journey. Okay. Well, thanks, Chris, for, for coming on and, and telling, you know, telling us not just about the product, but, but about really where the idea for it came from and why it'll be so valuable to the rest of us, you know, and, and, and some uh, a little extra information about just meditation in general and how, how much value it brings to the body and to the brain. So thank you for coming on and, and just thank you for your time. Most welcome. I really enjoyed speaking to you. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, 
Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, and discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.